Welcome. Welcome everyone to the Trust the Plan podcast. I'm Nick Hopwood, and today I'll be joined by my dear friends, Frank and Hillary Sanchez. Frank, also known as Pizza Frank, and Hillary, also known as the Apple Princess of Washtenaw County. And you'll have to learn, you'll have to listen in to the rest of the show to understand the nicknames. So the reason why we wanted to, to document their journey, so to speak, is because they have gone from corporate life to small business life through the franchise, uh, through the franchise opportunity. And a lot of people ask me about franchising and if it makes sense. Well, I've seen some failures and I've seen some successes, and this is definitely one of the success cases. So let's learn about the story of Frank and Hillary. Frank, no longer delivering chewing tobacco to gas stations, um, goes from chewing tobacco job to Little Caesars corporate to, to being an owner of several Little Caesars franchises, as well as the underlying real estate. So without further ado, I welcome in Frank and Hillary. Well, I'd like to welcome in Frank and Hillary Sanchez. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Well, thanks, thanks for Nick. having us. Um, so I think a, a better introduction would be Hillary, the Apple Princess of Washtenaw County. Did I say that right? <laughs> yes, you said that right. <laughs> Frank, is that what is that how you address her or uh, on occasion? <laughs> Excellent. And uh, I like to refer to Frank as Pizza Frank. You don't mind if I call you the Pizza King, do you? No, Pizza Frank is good or Pizza <laughs> King, I guess. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but maybe one day. We're on our way. So I, I'm glad that you guys agreed to join the podcast because I think that you have a great story. Um, and, you know, it's a story of entrepreneurial spirit, uh, a story of entrepreneurial success, as well as, right, uh, you know, an interesting way to get of getting there. Okay. Um, so I'd love if you wouldn't mind sharing your story and, uh, and maybe some tips for people that are thinking about going into business for themselves, or maybe some horror stories about what to watch out for. If you were going to go into business for yourselves, particularly through a franchise, right? Yeah. Um, no, I guess we can start. Yeah. Back in, I guess, 2008, we, I started working at the corporate office and was fortunate enough to learn quite a few things about the the business and the company and the franchise franchise uh, department. Well, we got to back up. We got to go back up. Okay. Oh, so, so like, Frank, Frank, you went to Michigan. I was playing basketball in Indiana uh, in the parking lot, the driveway, the in the barn. Right. So, so from Indiana to the University of Michigan, and I believe we were on campus for a little bit of time at the same time, right? Yeah, probably. Well, I think we were. I was there two thousand to two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're, I think they're till what? Oh, one. I graduated in Oh one. Yeah. And Hillary, you know, you, you didn't, um, go to Michigan, right. But you grew up in Ann Arbor and, uh, you know, Washington County. Right? Campus. And I actually met Frank at U of M. Okay. At a function. I just wasn't a student, but a function. was it a function? It was a function. It was a house party function. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I'd love to hear more about that offline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay. So out of school, right. Did you got, you guys, um, you know, I know that you had corporate jobs, but Frank, I got to hear about the story. I got to hear about your first job out of college really quick. Yes. Yeah, so my first job was, uh, I was the chewing tobacco vendor for, uh, all of Wayne County. 
for White Owl Cigars and uh, Red Man Chew, <laughs> Timberwolf Chew as well. So it you know kind of go to the cash and carries and the and all the um, gas stations in Wayne County and you know, trade out their old tobacco, give them some new ones, sell them in some new SKUs. And and how did you score that job? I uh, I honestly don't remember. I think I applied on Monster.com, <laughs> and uh, back when that was a big thing and. And they they called and I interviewed and they gave me a job and they gave me a car with unlimited gas and and it, it gave was, you a taste for working for yourself yeah because his next job was a nine to five where he had to clock his hours and he really always fondly remembered when he could just it was project based so he could get done as quick as he wanted as long as he was efficient and he missed that job and talked about it often I think that kind of led him to wanting to be his own boss ah yes I I totally understand that Hillary what about you. Coming out of school, where did you, what was your path? Sure. So I got my actual degree in creative writing, which I did not use. Um, but, you know, that's a whole other topic for another podcast. But um, I went to work in corporate sales, Thomson Reuters. It was a great job. I loved it. But then I had my first child. When he turned one, I was ready to be home more. And I went to work at the Apple Orchard that you referenced earlier with my nickname, which was a family business. And that kind of led to talks with Frank. He'd always want to do his own thing. And I'd grown up in a house where nobody had a standard schedule or standard. Both my parents worked for themselves. So that was all I knew. And yeah, that's kind of how we got started. But so I quit Thompson when my son was one, went to work for my dad part-time. And then Frank grew so fast that I quit on my dad and went Wait, to work for full-time. You are, you you just skipped like 10 years in 10 seconds. We can't Oh do, yeah, sorry, gotta... sorry. You know, our, I mean, our fans, they require all the details. Okay. So we have to go one step at a time. So, okay. So Frank, you, you decided to quit the tobacco job. Okay. Yeah. Which was questionable. I mean, I, I think you could be in, imagine where you could be now if you stayed there. Yeah. But, no, it was a great, great gig. I just, yeah, it's time to move on. And Yeah. So you decided to move on. Were you, you know, how did you land at Little Caesars corporate? Was this, you know another monster.com posting or, or someone that you knew what happened yeah so then um so i went work at thompson reuters as well for did the, the sales for about two years after the tobacco job and uh yeah just didn't fit it fit well with the nine to five um so kind of went to went to back to school at eastern to get an mba part-time and they had the career center so i just went to the career center and spoke to those guys see what they had available what different options were were and um they basically said uh little caesars was hiring for a corporate reps they kind of go through a training process and i remember when i did the tobacco job i went to a conference and i sat next to a guy who well, worked in steel manufacturing and he was turning around steel companies like from they were losing hundreds of thousands like hundreds of thousands a month to, to make him millions of dollars a month and i just thought that was really fascinating and um so then I figured, hey, if I ever wanted to get to something more or, or do something, I'd have to learn the basics. And I thought, well, if I can't work in a little Caesars and fix it up and turn it around with the team and the and the customers, I was like, I'd never be able to do anything bigger than that. So basically they kind of um, hired us in to learn the business. We go six months work in a store to run it. And then we kind of go around um, opening new stores. And then we kind of got our own territory for a while. And, um, and then you got to help people with their businesses and kind of all aspects of what they were doing with their growth or in store problems or issues. And, and, uh, 
yeah, basically is a great time to learn and and really really was a good good experience there. So I figured, hey, you know, I'm going to work in one little Caesar, see if I can make it better, and and then go from there. So, so I kind of I think I kind of think about in my head your experience at Little Caesars Corporate, and correct me if I'm wrong. You travel around the country, uh, you know, kind of coaching up these franchisees who are struggling or not, you know, they're not optimizing whatever. You show them, um, hey, you guys, you got to get back to basics. You got to follow the formula and we're going to turn around your shop, right? So you kind of became a, um, a turnaround specialist or something like this, where you were an expert with every step of the franchise process and, uh, and kind of helping these guys along the way. Is that a fair description? Yeah. Yeah, that was a great, great description. And it's really, really kind of what you grew into with this program that I that I applied for. And then, and by the end, yeah, the last couple of years, it was really fun to see people, you know, you got to kind of, yeah, you worked with people that were struggling, worked with people that were super successful, um, got to work with hundreds of people and see what they did right, what they did wrong. Um, so basically, you know, gave you an education on Little Caesars uh, and also paid you to help other people. And uh, it was really good, good to see, uh, good to see when you could, could connect with people and work with them and just say, Hey, you know, here's the system. And, and here's some of the, maybe the limiting beliefs that are, that are put, put in your way. Let's try to work around those and get back to the basics. Like you said, and just follow the system. And Now I, I remember golfing with you. This is probably like 2008 or something. And I don't, I haven't golfed since, I don't think, because, you know, I, I probably scored an 80 and that's not for 18 holes, if you know what I mean. If you know, you know, okay. But Hillary, Frank was telling me what kind of what, what we've been talking about here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, you, you would be the perfect guy to, to purchase an underperforming store and then, you know, run it and manage it, turn it around and, and have it as a success. And so I kind of feel like um, it wasn't long after that when you purchased your first one and you quit corporate. Is that is that timeline yeah. similar? Yeah, I think we were golfing and yeah, I'm not sure, maybe it's 2013 or 2014 or something. But yeah, I was getting kind of kind of antsy and didn't know what to do next. And uh, yeah, and two two stores came up for for sale there in 2015, and we ended up um, picking them up, but. But yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I think the more we were talking about it, it's for me personally, it was more of a mindset of how do I, how do I get away from the comfort of corporate America and then the nine to five schedule and, and can, can I actually do this? Will this actually work for me? And, and, and how do you, how do you actually, you know, all I've known for my whole life was you go to work and then, you know, you get a paycheck and then you do log your hours and uh you know growing up in indiana working at bob evans working all these places and and uh that's what uh that's kind of was ingrained in me so um and budgeting off a set schedule was what we had been doing prior well you know prior to that i had a finite amount of money for our income and then we budgeted around that so that was a big leap to know it was going to fluctuate yeah we didn't know what our income would be and took a big pay cut to get started but Okay. Okay. So let's talk about that for a second. So for those of you who don't, who don't know Hillary, she is, um, I don't know how to say it, uh, just very in touch with the budget. Is that a fair way to describe it? 
Yes, I'm very particular with our budget. Yeah. So, so, so that obviously that means that you're on on point with with your guys' finances. But you've helped a lot of other people as well. You know, you could have gone into business as a financial coach with with helping people with budgeting and maybe paying off uh, credit cards like Dave Ramsey style. I probably would have had fun with that. Yes. If I had started that path early on, that probably would have been something I would have enjoyed. It's mostly to what you referenced. It's been like family and friends. It's not been an actual income driver for me, but I do enjoy kind of giving them my Excel sheet and then customizing it to them and then checking in with them monthly and asking, well, kind of what you do, basically learning from you and your, you know, when your wife, Jenny used to do it, um, the idea of um, what their goals are versus what my goal would be, because everybody has something different, you know, whether it's travel or debt or, um, you know, buying their first house or whatever, but no, I do enjoy it. So, so Hillary, you were in tune with the finances and if we're going to take this leap of faith, right. Go from, from corporate paycheck to, you know, a schedule C profit and loss statement, self, self-employed, et cetera. You better be sure that you have a long runway where if if it doesn't work out or if it takes longer than you expect to have success, that you're still going to be okay. And let's draw a parallel to retirement, right? If you're going to leave your date, your daily grind paycheck, and uh, and now we have no paycheck coming in, we better be sure what it's going to co- what our cost of living is going to be, and will our savings, uh, social security, pension, you know, what will our existing resources be enough to cover it? Right. Mm -hmm. So sadly, you know, a lot of people don't do that homework, which is really frustrating. So anyway, there's a big parallel there as I see it, but Hillary, can I, can I interpret this to mean that you were not worried because you knew what the expenses were looking like? You didn't have a lot of anxiety about Frank making the change. No, I was very scared. I mean, to be honest, well, I'm, so I'm very conservative with money. And as we make more money, I allow more money to different topics, but I'm still very controlling of whatever that lump sum is that I have allocated. And part of me being conservative is I had Frank show me the PNLs. I looked at them with him. He explained certain things to me where he thought there was upside. And then I told him, I have faith in you and anyone who was going into franchising, this is what I would recommend. But I said, I have faith in you, but I don't have faith in what outside factors could contribute to this not going well. So I took the perceived profit from the profit and loss and I cut it by 20%. And then I took our monthly expenses and I increased them by, I think, 10% because I said, things are going to go up. And who knows if that's going to increase, like the cost of things for us will go up, but the cost of things for the store also could. And when I changed those two numbers, then the business income didn't look like it was going to be so great. Um, it would, you know, depending on how you looked at it, maybe not be that great at all, but I at least was going in and out with blinders on. And then there was a lot more upside. Um, so no, I was very nervous. He had a lot of things like he had medical. We didn't have that through my job. Um, cause I was part-time. So we had to factor that in some of our colleagues who have gone into franchising had medical through their spouse or through some other form. Um, I think at the time we reached out to you to ask you how you did your medical, um, but, you know, with different options that there are, um, but no, I was very nervous. I'm not going to lie. And then every new store we've, I won't skip to the end of the story, but every store we've gotten since then, um, there's always a little bit of nerves. And I do the same thing with each new store. I take what they think the profits will be based on the numbers Frank gets. And then I massage them down and see if it still makes sense to do. And some have been riskier than others. Um, and some have paid off better than others, but 
Yeah. And but so, I also have a lot of faith in Frank. So you've been acquiring more locations over the years. Okay. Would you mind sharing, you know, what, what do you think the end goal looks like? Do you have idea of just the, the idea of staying on the same path, maybe acquiring more into the future, or are you feeling like, uh, that you want to maintain, like, what's your mindset today as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think it's, you know, as we progress, we're, we're kind of slowly diversifying into, into real estate a little bit. Um, but as from, from a little Caesar standpoint, or we're, we're still super bullish about it, excited. Um, it's a great, great brand. Um, this things have been going really well for us. So we're, we're excited about that, but we're kind of taking it before early on, we were just kind of hungry to, to grow in advance. And now we're, we're kind of very particular about our growth. We're more calculated with it, uh, has to kind of fit in with our team, uh, make sure we have the, the people that, that are wanting to and willing to, to help us out, to do it. Um, where before we were kind of jumping in, you know, and just, We'll you just need a chance. You just you just have to plant your flag somewhere. But now you can be more particular. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Now let's go back a couple of years to the uh, March 2020 experience. So when I think of Little Caesars, I think of five dollar hot and ready's. Right? Maybe it's six bucks now. Um, but that's probably if I had to guess where a lot of your volume is. And it, that seems to me like it's recession proof. Like everyone even if you're struggling, can afford a $5 pizza, right? And actually, it's pretty good quality for five bucks, you know? So is Little Caesars like recession proof? And what about in good times? Do people trade up, you know, to another brand in good times? Or, you know, and then let's also talk about the pandemic. And, you know, were you, were you literally physically shut down for a period of time? If you wouldn't mind sharing thoughts about that. Yeah, so the, yeah, the pandemic was a uh, very tough, trying time for everybody. With the rules changing constantly, you know, multiple times a day in three different states. Uh, we had to follow, like Hillary followed the news, like religiously. It was just, you know, what's what's the governor going to say here? What's, what's the governor going to say there? How do we how do we adapt? How do we stay ahead of it with our team so they know that we're we're on top of it, that we're not just letting them. You know, because it's just there's so much misinformation, so much fear that it was very difficult to navigate through and caused a lot of stress. And yeah, and it's I mean, the first couple of weeks with the lockdowns, it's our sales dropped, you know, well over 60 percent. Um, and, you know, there's genuine fear there of can we can we keep this thing going? Can we pay our bills? And mm -hmm. um, it's very, very stressful time. So and the health part. I mean, now everyone knows more. But back then. Mm -hmm the day everything shut down, we were open the next day at 11 a.m., not knowing what needed to be in place or not in place, Frank. I mean, people who are looking into going into franchising, you can always have layers. And Frank has built, that's part of why he's grown so fast and so efficiently is he's really a people person more than a business person. And people seem to like to work for him for the most part. And so he's built a really good team of layers and that has helped. But in the end, it all trickles up, right? Everyone knows. In the end, there's someone who has to handle things. And there's a lot of times where people would say, well, Frank surely doesn't have to do that now that he has 180 employees. And it's, you know, we were late to sign into this because he was dealing with a power outage issue where he had to um, drive across the state. But during COVID, he went Home Depot to Home Depot to Lowe's to Lowe's, trying to find any of the clear um, plexiglass. plexiglass that was available. It was like finding gold. 
And then he went and fashioned himself um, the plexiglass dividers for our employees that first week after COVID because, you know, we didn't know what needed to be in place to keep them safe. And that was when he was just out there spray painting them, trying to make them look nice, putting them up and driving store to store through all three states, um, staying at hotels with all sorts of crazy rules for staying and stuff. Yeah, it was a it was a wild time. If you owned any kind of business with customer facing, um, it was probably shaved five years off our life, maybe longer. We need less retirement money. <laughs> if you don't live as long, you don't need as much. Just yeah, saying. Exactly. It's true. <laughs> we don't and like to talk about that though. No, yeah. here for a good time, right? Not for a long time. <laughs> That's right. And one of the, one of the great things that I, I really enjoy about franchising is that there's usually a, a strong community of other franchisees, you know, assuming you're in a, a good brand that's 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 going well. Um, everybody's pretty willing to to discuss things with you, contribute. And you get you, you know, borrow ideas from other people that, hey, is this working? Is this not working? And and during those times it was everything was moving so fast that it's we were we were constantly on group chats trying to trying to figure it all out and sharing information and and uh, and that really helped helped us out a lot. What if I was in what if I was interested in, you know, becoming a franchise owner, whether it's Little Caesars or another brand, like what kind of advice would you have for them getting started? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think um I think the big thing is, you know, I guess a couple of things is really do your homework, do your research, make sure that the system is tried and true, that you got that you get good information. Sometimes they'll different different places will will put in maybe their top stores uh, data and feedback of how they perform, but uh, maybe that's not necessarily the average or or another <clears throat> other uh, performance metrics. So just make sure you're getting the proper data um, and maybe interviewing other franchisees, see what they like and don't like about the brand. Uh, would they do it again? Those kind of questions. And then um, and then really, you know, again, then, then the numbers part is is big. If it's a um, making sure you know, you you have some sort of runway and you're not going to you know, run out of money, uh, and then you know, make sure the people part is that you you're willing to to work with people. You want to work with people, train people, coach people. If it's a people intensive business, um, and, and and really just understanding that piece and that knowing that that's that's always going to be there, and then you're always going to have to you know take care of. The, people you work with and uh and that's that's I see a lot of people get overly stressed out with that that part so I think um just knowing what you're getting into and uh and really doing your homework so especially with the numbers yeah the numbers. I mean, some maybe some people are coming into it with more of a passive mindset but maybe it's really more active like it has to be more hands-on at least at least in, in the beginning maybe Hillary, what do you, what's your advice for someone who wants to get into a franchise? Uh, well, first make sure the whole family's on board, meaning your immediate family, not extended family, but, um, cause it is a whole family thing. I always refer to Frank's pizza shops as his pizza shops and people will correct me and say, they're yours too. And I'm like, well, I work for Frank. We really try to separate them, but you probably know when you work for yourself, you end up talking about your job, I think more than the average person, cause it kind of becomes part of your identity. Um, and so our kids have sacrificed and we're aware of that. They've sacrificed a lot of things at the beginning, the startup stages. Um, Frank's schedule is very fluid. I will speak to one thing for the passive investors because um, we do have a partial silent investor. Um, Frank's the majority owner, but we do have a partial silent investor and he really doesn't do anything operationally. So that is a potential thing for people that does exist. Um, and 
to give an accurate description of what Frank does day to day, physically in the store, it's bare minimum. I mean, today was a unique situation where we were late. So it kind of gave a funny anecdotal story for today. Um, that was more my point is in general, he is not the day-to-day -day person anymore. Um, he works a lot, but it's, he can work from anywhere. Um, we're, you know, we are, have gone from home quite a bit for different reasons. And he's able to, as long as he has a computer and a phone from the minute he wakes up until the stores close at midnight, he's talking to supervisors and managers about metrics and, um, cost of goods and whatnot, but a lot of government forms, all that good stuff. Um, but my, bigger thing would be just to make sure that they are in it for those times. Cause if you're thinking it's all passive, we know franchisees in all different industries and they all have to have some active role, even if it's minimal, it doesn't mean you have to be there fixing things, but um, it's the best franchisees usually do have a pulse and a finger on what's happening in the stores because that's how you keep the good people is they feel like they're working for you, not for the corporate office. It's that family feel. Excellent advice. My, I, I totally forgot about this. I don't even know, know if I've ever told you guys this, but my dad has a, a tragic um, franchise story, okay, with Fantastic Sam's. So uh, for some reason, he thought he needed to be in the haircutting business when he had a full-time sales job selling radio in Lansing. So he decided to buy the Fantastic Sam's and immediately drove it into the ground and, and bled out, you know, and just bankrupted it um, over a few years. And so not only did the runway not last, but he ended up taking personal money and continuing to invest more and more and more. And it was just a bad situation. So I guess in my, you know, and I was in high school, come to think of it. So I guess in my personal family, I have some, um, some great franchisee stories, but Hey, I want to end on something fun. Okay. So when you're working, Frank, going into pizza, corporate, traveling around, I'm guessing that you ate a lot of pizza. I want to know how much weight did you gain from hot and ready's back in the day? And how do you keep it off now? You're in, I, I mean, your six pack is incredible. I mean, <laughs> you guys are really good looking. If you're not, if you're uh, listening, you should, you know, log into YouTube, check it out. But how do you keep this temptation right off your waistline? Yeah, no, it's a, it's well, it's a, it's a roller coaster, right? So it's like when I first started at corporate, I actually worked in the store so much that uh, that I was just burning it off, so I could eat a cheese pizza and a salad every day, and then I lost a ton of weight. <laughs> I started traveling, and then you know, especially some of the spots in Texas with the barbecue and Franklin's barbecue and all sorts of great places that I just you start eating a lot, and you're flying around, you're traveling, you're not sleeping well. Uh, you put it back on, so then you have to you kind of have to go refocus and revisit the gym and and, and monitor the diet. It's not a. I think Hillary told me at one point it's not a vacation every day if you're traveling or or every day you can't just eat pizza all the time. Because I <laughs> uh, card charges when he's traveling immediately. Yeah, and even now, yeah, <laughs> go down to some of the stores in Ohio. It's uh, there's some good places like Raising Cane's that you can uh, get some good chicken fingers, but. But um, but yeah, no, it's just a it's just a balance, and it's tough tough to do. But there's a lot of a lot of ups and downs. The more the more you, I seem to work in the store, the more the more I can can actually lose the weight. All right, last thing, okay. What's your favorite item on the Little Caesars menu right now for lunch? What you gonna go get? For me, I'd go get uh, well, lunch combo is probably the best best deal. But then uh, the pepperoni cheese bread is is one of the one of the most uh, 
secret not not necessarily secretive but it's uh it's it's incredibly good but it's uh not as well known so all right so so for our fans one more time what was it called uh, pepperoni cheese bread so it's just okay uh, pepperoni cheese bread hillary how about you i just like a traditional cheese pizza sitting in the passenger seat of the car with a little cup of marinara that i dip each slice into it's very simple it never goes off the menu either the sauce is good at little caesar's i gotta but you're going with the, just the cheese, but you don't like yeah. pepperoni or I like it, but if I have a choice, I'll take the just cheese. Okay. There you have it. We're going to go uh hot and ready, large cheese, add a dipping cup and a pepperoni cheese bread as the side that's mm -hmm. under 10 bucks. Yep. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Feed the whole family. Well, guys, thanks again for coming on the podcast. I think, you know, I think you have a great story from, um, you know, coming up playing basketball and picking apples all the way up to, um, you know, world domination of, uh, you know, a thousand Little Caesars locations. So you're on your way. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs>